Well, good evening. For those who don't know me, my name's Jeff Leader. I'm part of the ministry team here. And there goes the microphone. Sorry, microphone. Pick that up so I don't walk on it later on. Well, we're going to be looking at Jesus is a good teacher tonight. And just uh, look at that in a little bit more detail. Before we uh, move on, let's pray. Our Lord, we, we do thank you that we can have your word before us, that you speak to us, that you challenge us, that you teach us. And so, Lord, as we look at you as a teacher, we pray that your teaching may penetrate our hearts tonight. We pray that your spirit may speak to us, challenge us, help us to keep focused, Lord, to listen well and to take on board what you would have for us this evening. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, over the past nine weeks or so, we've been looking at how people would finish the sentence, Jesus is. Well done. You're better than the morning congregation. They had to sort of scratch their heads on that. I think after nine weeks, they might have got the idea. Jesus is. And in doing so, we've looked at various things. We've looked at the character of Jesus, that Jesus is love. We've also looked at the claims he made about himself, that he was the son of God. And we've also considered our response to claims or opinions that Jesus was irrelevant, a fairy tale, a crutch, or that he was neglectful. So we've covered quite a range of topics in that lot. But I hope that over the past nine weeks, we've been able to demonstrate from historical documents and eyewitness accounts that Jesus was actually a real person a real person in history who lived in the Roman province of Palestine some 2,000 years ago. Furthermore, he not only existed, that he was a, a real person, but he attracted a great number of followers because, as we heard in the reading, he performed miraculous signs and healings and because of the things he taught about the kingdom of God. We're very fortunate that a lot of this teaching was written down for us and it was preserved down through the ages to this very day so that we can read for ourselves and examine what Jesus said and did and that we can actually look and examine the truth of the claims that he made and what he taught. So indeed, much of what Jesus taught... Oops, dropped the gun. Much of what Jesus taught, you know, if we look at the bigger question, what is a good teacher? Well, Jesus actually, as a good teacher, is acknowledged by the, most of the world's great religions. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, uh, Judaism. They all regard Jesus with a certain degree of significance. What he taught, they saw as being helpful for living a morally upright life about caring for people in need and for doing good towards others. Jesus is widely regarded by these religions. And in fact, by many people today, they regard Jesus, they can't deny his reality, but they say, yeah, he was a good teacher. Maybe a great teacher, a wise man, perhaps even a prophet. So the question we need to consider is, 
Firstly, is what makes a good teacher good? What makes a good teacher good? And as we begin to look at Jesus and what made Jesus good, we need to ask ourselves firstly the very important question, the why question. Why is Jesus regarded as a good teacher? So it may be helpful here to to think about the teachers that we've sat under in our life. Now, I guess we've all had really good teachers and maybe we've had some not-so-good teachers at school, at university, at college, at church, even in the workplace. I remember a, a couple of teachers in high school who stimulated and encouraged my interest in science and mathematics, which ultimately led me to a career in electrical engineering. And then I remember very fondly two assistant ministers at our local church when I was in my teens, the first of whom had a very engaging and enthusiastic passion for the gospel. And he was responsible for me becoming a Christian. The second, the guy that followed him, also had a great impact on me in a different sort of way. He's a much quieter man, but he had, uh, took a great interest in me and fostered my growth and development as a Christian. But I've also sat under many great Christian teachers. I only just mentioned two, a couple out of, a bit out of left field. But one that stuck in my mind from many years ago was a guy called Terry Fulham. You've probably never heard of Terry Fulham. He was an Episcopalian or uh, minister from, I think it was Connecticut in the States. Episcopalian just equates to Anglican, kind of, loosely. Uh, and he co-authored a book called A Miracle in Darien. He came to Sydney to speak at a conference, which I had the privilege to attend a long time ago. And he spoke on a passage from the Old Testament, Isaiah 40, verse 31, which says, But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Should be familiar to it. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. He was an inspiring teacher. And that verse and that talk is stuck with me because at the end of that talk, you walked out of that room feeling like you could soar on the wings of eagles. It was uh, amazing his, the way he just used that illustration of the eagles and our Christian walk. Somebody else who made a great impact on me was Rick Warren of Saddleback in church in California. Again, at yet another conference, different one this time, much later down the track, he spoke about Moses, um, God's question to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 4. And God said to Moses, what is in your hand? And there's Moses standing there wondering what's going on and he's holding his shepherd's staff. He had his shepherd's staff. And God said, what is in your hand? Now, I won't go into all the, all of the uh, yeah, development of that message, but the point that was being made is for us. What do we have in our hands in terms of our, our time, our talent, our treasures? Things that, God, that we have in our hands that God can use to further his purposes in this world. And it really spoke to me, it challenged me 
to think about the blessings that God had bestowed on me, the gifts and talents that he'd given me. And sometimes we sort of downplay what we have. But that passage stuck with me and challenged me to put in that into practice with the things that God had given me to serve him and to glorify him in my life. So a couple of, there's a few examples of good teachers. So thinking about good teachers who have taught you, and hopefully you've had some, what makes them stand out in your mind? What was it that made them stand out for you, that made an impact on your life? For me, what makes a good teacher is two-pronged. A good teacher... Uh, for a, for a good teacher, it is what they say and how they say it. What they say and how they say it. Firstly, a good teacher has to have some good things to say, wise things to say. And that would be the content or the subject of their teaching. The things that they're presenting to their students, what they're trying to teach their students. Now, a good teacher needs to know their subject really well. They need to have a good understanding of that material they're endeavouring to teach. In the Gospels, we have a fairly extensive record of what Jesus taught. Unfortunately, we haven't the time to look at the full extent of what Jesus taught in the space of a brief sermon. But one of the best examples of Jesus' teaching is found, or one of the collected passages of collected sayings is in Matthew chapter 5 verses uh, sorry Matthew chapter 5 to 7 the Sermon on the Mount hopefully you've all heard of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus we're told that Jesus went up a mountainside Jesus knew how to teach. He picked his spot. He picked his location. The Sermon on the Mount was believed to be uh, preached on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, the northern part of Israel. And the hills sort of roll down to the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And it was a great spot to actually sit. Rabbis in that day and age would sit and the people came and gathered around uh, the teacher, in this case, Jesus. It was a great location, free of um, things that would distract. The lake was at the people's backs and Jesus spoke to them. You can visit the spot to this, uh, today. There's a church or chapel, beautiful place, sitting on it. So knew, Jesus knew what was conducive for people to receive and understand what he wanted to tell them. And the crowds gathered around him. The people could see him. The people could hear him. And he begins his Sermon on the Mount. He begins his teaching. But what we know is the Beatitudes. Now the Beatitudes, a bit of a technical word, but it just means declarations of blessedness. And he goes through the series of blessings before he proceeds to detail the moral and ethical expectations of living life in obedience to God, which is the content of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, blessed here, when we look at the passage, blessed here means more than just being happy. Okay? 
Blessed actually refers to a spiritual well-being, a feeling of inner joy and peace, particularly for those who share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. For those who believe in God, a blessing from God will bring peace and joy and fulfilment and happiness in that sense. So I just want to spend a few minutes just unpacking the Beatitudes because there's a, a mine of teaching in here. It's, it's brilliant stuff. We're, we're tempted just to sort of run through it really, really, really quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's all good, good, good. But what does it really mean? So firstly, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, who are the poor in spirit? Who's he talking about there? The poor in spirit are people who realise that they're not good enough for heaven, that they're not, per- they're not perfect, and so they're unable to face the perfect God in heaven. They need a saviour. You see, heaven is a gift of grace given to those who realise their need of salvation and accept that they cannot earn their way to heaven through their own merits. This is a promise for people who grasp the fact that they're not good enough to get into heaven. It's kind of like the first step in becoming a believer. And then he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, this has kind of like a twofold meaning. Firstly, there is reassurance for those who grieve the passing of a loved one, who are experiencing pain or suffering in their lives. And there's reassurance that when we face those times in our lives, God will be with us. He will walk with us through those tough times. He will be there to comfort us when we grieve. And at times he'll even carry us through if we let him. But secondly, in, the, in this context, this is a statement about people who grieve for the state of the sinful nature of their souls. Once you realise you're not good enough for heaven, you realise you, you will grieve that you're not good enough for God. And you grieve for the fallen nature, not only of yourself, but of the people around you, the fallen nature of our, our nation, indeed our whole world. And so there's the promise of comfort of those people who feel that kind of grief, comfort that only God, our sovereign God, can provide. So blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now this beatitude is taken from Psalm 37, verse 11. And it refers not so much as an attitude towards people, but as a disposition or an attitude towards God. And that is namely, they are humble before God. Meekness can be seen as a bit of a wussy term, but meekness is... There's, there's a certain courage in meekness. There's a robustness to being meek. Because meekness is choosing submission, humble submission over ambition, maybe a selfish ambition, and over other authority. It is submitting to God. And so as we come before God with an attitude of humility, we will receive, it says, an inheritance. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And this is 
the meek will inherit the earth, which kind of pushes it right to the end of days when God will recreate the earth. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. And those with faith will inherit the new earth. That's the promise. That's the promise of humility or meekness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is the next one, for they will be filled. Now this refers to people who have a deep longing for both personal righteousness and to see justice for the oppressed and persecuted. It reflects a deep longing to see God make all things new again. In the meantime, God is only too willing to provide for the needs of those who seek to obey his commands. That's what this is about. If we decide to follow Jesus, then we will want to follow his commands, to obey him, to live the life that Jesus lived. Here's our ultimate example of a life of righteousness and would live a life like Jesus, confronting injustice in this world. There's a hunger or thirst for that kind of fellowship, that kind of um, relationship with our God, a thirst for righteousness, to be like Jesus. And if you have that thirst, you will not be disappointed because you will be filled with the Spirit of God. He will satisfy that hunger. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This kind of follows on from the last one. We are to do as Jesus did, to be merciful. And we are to show mercy and compassion to other people. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, how are our hearts purified? They're purified through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Through his death, we are made clean. We're washed clean. We're given pure, clean hearts so that we are now acceptable to God. And we can come into God's presence knowing that we will be accepted, knowing that he sees a pure and clean heart. And we know that we'll be welcomed with open arms by our Lord. And not only that, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Precious children of God. Peacemakers are people who promote peace as far as it depends on them. And in so doing, they reflect the character of Jesus. They reflect the character of God who brings reconciliation, who brings peace. What is Jesus known as? The Prince of Peace. Great. So blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be known as children of God. That's a privilege, isn't it? That's a joy. It's an honour to have that kind of relationship with God that he sees us as part of his family. And the finally, final one is, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People, this is talking about people who suffer persecution or criticism for the sake of the gospel, for taking a stand and saying, I believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And there's that promise. We actually started with that promise right at the start in the first one there, the promise of the kingdom of heaven. There's just the kingdom of heaven. And there's that our reward for eternity. 
Now you might also notice there's a bit of a progression through this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those people who realise their sinful nature, who acknowledge it, and who grieve for that. And then they submit themselves to God's will and purposes and decide to follow Jesus. Seek after righteousness and his mercy, accepting his mercy, and they will be filled because they're washed clean and pure in his sight. So it's a great little passage, this. It's worth spending time just reflecting on each of those blessings that God promises to us. But the Beatitudes sets the tone for the rest of Jesus' teaching on the mountainside or hillside. And he goes on to explain what it means to have pure hearts, to be merciful, to be righteous, to be peacemakers and to live humbly and meekly before God. When Jesus had finished his teaching, if we hadn't picked up on it before in other passages, we read in Matthew 7, verses 28 to 29, that the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, I believe this is another important feature of a good teacher. A good teacher teaches with authority. A good teacher knows their subject matter and teaches with confidence. And many times throughout the Gospels, we're reminded that Jesus taught with authority and not like the teachers of the Jewish law. In John 7, 16 to 17, which was read to us earlier, Jesus himself tells us that the content of his teaching comes from God and that he, Jesus, teaches with the authority of Almighty God. You see, real spiritual authority has to do with the truth of the actual words being spoken and the spirit of the person who's speaking those words. Real authority is all about truth. Words that are true carry weight because they are true. And authentic spiritual authority puts us in touch with reality. It speaks to our hearts. Jesus was a good teacher because of what he taught. But more than that, Jesus knew how to teach. As I mentioned before in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus chose a location where people could hear him and see him. But he also preached with skill and he enabled his audience to understand what he was saying, what he meant. What he wanted them to learn and to know. And, in do, and, and the way he taught, he used different figures of speech to illustrate his teaching. He used stories or parables to teach important spiritual truths. And he used things, examples from everyday life that people were familiar with. People, um, things from the farming, the farms that are around uh, roundabout that people were very close to, things the, that their homes that they were familiar with. And he used practical, tangible items like water and bread and wine to help people remember what he said to them. He used what was at hand and used like visual aids to help people learn. But no matter how good your content is and how you teach it, 
The most influential and inspirational teachers are those who are passionate about this subject and who actually live it out, who put it into practice, who, act, who take on board what they are teaching and live it out. They take it on board. You can see what they teach by the, the way they live. I wonder if you can remember a teacher who inspired you. A teacher who was excited and enthusiastic and indeed passionate about this subject. They are the teachers who shape the lives of their students. They are the teachers who have made a difference in our lives. They have challenged us and stimulated us to develop a love of learning. And I'd have to say that the greatest teachers are those who inspire us to think beyond ourselves, to develop a desire to improve the world and serve the needs of humanity. And I'd have to say that Jesus was certainly that kind of teacher. He lived what he taught. His speech was full of grace and kindness. And his actions showed a heart of compassion, of mercy and of love. Jesus cared about people. He cared deeply about them. And he demonstrated the depth of his love for people by taking our sins upon himself and sacrificing himself on the cross. Jesus, the good teacher, came to seek and save the lost. He came as the saviour of the world. But Jesus taught not just with authority and passion. He taught with the truth. He taught the truth, as I said before. And we see that in John 1.14 when it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. What, you see, what Jesus taught made sense to people. It appealed to them and spoke just not to their heads, it went to their hearts. And Jesus presented his teaching with the authority of God, his Father in heaven. And he spoke with confidence that it was the truth. And as the good teacher, he taught truthfully, he taught with authority. And one of the most significant things Jesus said was that the only way, the one and only way to get into heaven is through faith in him and him alone. There are no two ways. There is only one way. And so, if people acknowledge Jesus as a good teacher, then they better take a good hard look at what he actually said. Because if what he said was false, then he would not be a good teacher. He'd be irrelevant. But if what he said is true, then it would be prudent to listen to what he had to say. There is, with Jesus, there's no sitting on the fence. We cannot ignore Jesus and just write him off as just another good teacher. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He was so much more. 
He is our King. He is our Saviour. And He calls us to put our faith in Him and follow Him. And this is not just through our words and actions. It goes much, much deeper. It's our hearts that we need to get right before God. Because in the end, he will not judge us by what we have done or what we've said. But he'll judge us by the attitude of our hearts towards God, our Heavenly Father. He's the ultimate judge and he will see what we really believe about him. So if we look closely at what Jesus taught, you'll see that Jesus did speak to people's hearts. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what they believed. He knew their hearts. And this is what made his teaching powerful and memorable because it made a difference, an eternal difference to their lives. You see, Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus is the good teacher. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we thank you that you came and showed us what the kingdom of heaven is like. That you raised the bar. That you brought conviction that we cannot get to heaven through our own strength, our own actions. Lord, we stand condemned. But you, Lord, have taken our sins upon yourself. You have shown us the way back to God, the way into heaven. And so, Lord, as, as we endeavour to express our thanks to you, we seek to honour you by living a life that is righteous, submitting our will to yours, so that in all we do, all we say, they give you honour and glory above all else. Father, thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the fun bit. Q&A. Yeah, thanks, Chief. Any questions? If you were chatting with someone, obviously maybe of a different faith, and they Sorry, kind of, if you're chatting with someone that was maybe of a different faith, and they did agree that Jesus was a good teacher, but he was just a good teacher, where would you direct them as far as scripture or part of the Bible to say, maybe talking about that he's the son of God or that he was raised? Do you know what I mean? Like taking that next step of he was actually more than just mm. a good teacher. Is there somewhere you would go with them? With John that? fourteen six is probably yeah. the most confronting passage. But it's, that's the crux of the whole issue is whether Jesus is just a good teacher or whether he's more. I think people who actually um, commonly regard Jesus as good um, but they've never really looked at what he's taught. They've never really looked at his life and looked at his challenges to our beliefs about ourselves and whether we're good enough for heaven. Yeah. G'day, Steve here. Um, just got a question. I, I speak with a friend of mine who's Muslim and um, he recognises Christ as a, 
a good prophet. Mm. Um, how can I answer that to him uh, to say, no, he wasn't a prophet? Um, what's the best sort of line there to go to? Oh, <laughs> that's always a tricky question. I'm not an expert in Islam, so I'm, I... Uh I guess the challenge is to share what Jesus did, uh, share from the Bible, um, show them what the Bible says about Jesus. Because Muhammad's come and he kind of dismissed anything that didn't fit in with what he wrote in the Quran. And so, yeah, Jesus did good stuff, we acknowledge that. Although a lot of what is picked up in the Quran about Jesus is rather distorted teaching that had come down through several centuries. so to actually bring Muslims back to what is actually said about Jesus, that, that is the challenge for us. Yeah. Um, and I, from what I hear, there's a great revival happening throughout the Islamic world because people are actually um, discovering who Jesus was and the claims that he made. Uh, getting the Bible into those countries, into their hands, is a real challenge. But yeah. uh, for those who have had access to Scripture, and it's getting easier with the internet, of course, mm. um, it's made a, an incredible difference because when they start reading about Jesus, what they're reading is truth. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Whereas Muslims aren't encouraged to actually study the Quran. They're encouraged to memorise it, yeah. but don't question it. Okay. And that's... That's very problematical for us because we're encouraged to question the Bible, examine it, test it. Um, and, uh, but you've got a, a, a Islam which basically says you question the Quran and you're committing a sin. It's wrong. Yeah. So, and so it's, it's difficult to actually say, well, the Quran says this, but this actually isn't true because that's really... Uh, very confronting for Muslims because you're threatening their, their, their whole belief system. And I found it quite interesting how many times Christ is mentioned in the Quran as well. Yeah, yeah. There's probably quite a but more. They don't know the real Jesus. Yeah. That's the whole thing. So we need to tread carefully, yeah. respectfully. Yeah. You know, you, it's, it's funny, um, Muslims regard the Quran as um, very, very highly. You will not see a Quran on the floor. That would be just a terrible thing to do to, and a, a very disrespectful treatment of their holy book. We chuck our Bibles around like they're, they're nothing. Yeah? <laughs> very different attitude. So we need to be mindful of that. But we need to regard our book highly, respectfully, because we know it is the truth. Yeah. Okay? Thank you. Yep, anyone else? Okay, thank you. Thanks, Stu.